Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. All the news relevant to you and your business, squeezed into 20 minutes or less. And now, welcome your Monday morning information security quarterbacks, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Lopes. Okay, and now we are back with episode 45, the week of June 17th newscast. I'm James Jardine. Uh, I'm actually riding solo this week as Raphael Los is unavailable due to uh, some prior engagements that he had to attend to. Uh, but let's start getting into some of the interesting news that's been happening this week uh, or over the past two weeks. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the biggest thing, and we don't want to drop this or, or miss it or say we didn't cover it. Uh, you know, really, I mean, it's been all over the news is this whole idea with the NSA leaks. Edward Snowden comes forward as source of the NSA leaks. Um, I mean, this is everywhere. You can't pull up the Internet without finding some story or watch TV seeing some newscast talking about this situation. And really, the idea is here is that, you know, this guy who you know, apparently was a high school dropout, has gone and, you know, gotten this job with the DOD contractor, high paying job, and stole a whole bunch of information, um, ideas that may have been floating around in the NSA, and then leaked it out, uh, you know, to say that basically the NSA has the ability to spy on people, and they're, you know, looking at people's emails, or doing all this different things. And obviously, uh, from a privacy standpoint this is where we see a lot of debate you know is this did this guy do something wrong is the nsa doing something wrong we see it you know all over the place and it's really up to everyone to kind of draw their own conclusions i don't think we're going to get everybody to agree on what the real problem is here i think what we really need to look at it though is is the underlying root cause for us in enterprise security is how do we handle this type of situation? I mean, this guy's working for a, a DOD contractor. He should have, you know, he's got a clearance of some sort. Uh, there must have been background checks, and a lot of companies do background checks. Are we missing something here that we we couldn't see this as uh, any signs that this was about to happen? Uh, you know, we have to think about even though we do all these policies to try to make this stuff work and to try to make sure that we're hiring people that aren't going to do this. We've always talked about the internal threat. Uh, it always gets downplayed a lot, but that internal threat is really there. And there's, no matter what we do, there's still that risk of it. I got to imagine NSA security has got to be pretty tight. So if you're given access to that type of information, it, shouldn't have been as easy as just grabbing a thumb drive of data uh, or whatever means he used just to pull that data out. Um, but, you know, really going past the idea of he's doing it for this reason or that reason, when we look at it from our own security standpoint, I think we really need to look at, you know, how are we looking at the people that we're hiring? How are we 
determining, you know, are people doing stuff maliciously internal, you know, that they might take this information and use it against us or leak it out to somebody else. So I think that's the key there. I mean, those are the questions I have is if they've done such a good job of doing a background check and everybody's doing a background check, is there more that we need to do and what can we possibly do more there besides, you know, an exhaust, exhaustive background check? Um, it just depends on the type of data you're dealing with. So hopefully we'll start to see people paying more attention to that internal threat. I think that's really brings light to that threat that a lot of times we kind of overlook. Like, oh, our people would never do that to us. Um, but given enough reason, whatever this guy's cause was, whether it was being a traitor, whether it was for, uh, you know, getting some attention, you know, whatever it was, he had some reason to be able to take that knowledge and pass it along. So we have to think about what do we have? Could somebody take that, pass it along and use it against us? So that's really what we want to take away from that story. And the whole situation that's going on there is how do we handle that and try to look for the signs that people are going to do something like this. Moving over to another kind of interesting story and falls right in line with that privacy issue. Um, out on Computer World, they had a story, Google Glass could get a look at the enterprise. Uh, you know, where they're looking at this idea that the glass eyewear could be helpful for sales, maintenance, healthcare, law enforcement. And they mentioned some different ways that Google Glass could be used. For example, with law enforcement, you know, being able to record what happens during an arrest. Um, you know, even like a, a car mechanic, you know, he's in there working on a vehicle and he's got the repair manual within the glasses to be able to see it. He doesn't have to go look it up. So there's a lot of cool ways that people are looking at being able to bring this in to use it. Healthcare, where you have information just right there, uh, not really necessarily at your fingertips, right? But because it's in the glasses, but I mean, it's readily available for you to be able to see it, use that information, make decisions on it. And it has a lot of cool uh, ideas that come from that. The downside is, you know, we look at the security side. Somebody comes in wearing Google Glass and now all of a sudden think back to the NSA leak, that type of situation. People are just recording, you know, all the data that they're seeing. What if you have a healthcare worker or you know, somebody that processes health forms in a HIPAA situation or somebody in a PCI situation where they're customer service for a credit card company and you got people calling in and they're putting in credit card information and these users have the ability to pull up all these different screens and if they're running, you know, using the Google Glass systems, well, if they're recording all of that, then everything they see on the screen is now getting recorded what happens to that data? What could they do with that data? Uh, it's a whole new way for people to potentially be able to start stealing data versus trying to come in and bring thumb drives out and, you know, try to get other media out. It's, oh, yeah, I just have my glass, you know, my Google glasses, you know, and then are, are people going to start blocking you? I'm going to go take a certification test. Nope, you can't bring those glasses in. Uh, but what if they're actually prescription glasses and that's the only way you can see the screen? If there's going to be a lot of stuff, I think, that uh, is going to fall out from this. I mean, we're already starting to see places trying to ban them before they're even readily available. You know, hey, we no, we don't want these in this area. 
Um, it really kind of comes to that whole BYOD, the bring your own device scenario, where now we've got this new device, it's got a new way of capturing stuff, and how are we going to start handling it? And how are the enterprises going to start building policy around when can we wear them, when can we not, how are we going to use them? Um, we, you know, we really need to take a step back and think about how this technology changes the way we look at security to be able to understand how we want to set up policies to protect ourselves from employees using these things. Uh, it is a little bit, I think, different than the BYOD. I mean, but it really is a BYOD. You are bringing your own device. It just happens to be glasses instead of, you know, a smartphone of some sort. Away from Google onto Apple, a lot of hoopla about Apple, right? iOS 7 was just announced everybody's all pumped about it some cool new features coming out with ios 7 uh, one of the cool new features uh, cnn tech has a story about apple adding the kill switch to iphones you know that we're looking for ways to help stop this idea of uh, what they refer to as apple picking a growing wave of crime in which thieves target mobile devices particularly iphones and ipads uh, i personally have had uh, my own iPhone uh, lost and and you know taken by somebody else. Basically, it wasn't stolen off of me, but uh, it did get lost, and somebody else received it. And I went through this whole process of calling AT and T and letting them know, hey, I, I you know I need to get a new phone. Then I had to call a different number so I could report it as a stolen phone, so they could put the device ID in some national database that supposedly, you know, they wouldn't be able to activate the phone because it's been listed as stolen. Uh, but, you know, we don't really know how well that actually works. Uh, so the new idea here is they have this activation lock that'll be part of iOS 7. Uh, and the idea being that you can't even wipe the phone or disable the find my phone feature without putting in your Apple ID of the current user uh, to try to stop people from being able to just quickly erase it and, you know, basically making a clean phone. Uh, so they're looking for that attempt and then not being able to reactivate the phone on the network without using the previous Apple ID to do it. Uh, so if somebody steals my phone, they shouldn't have a way to wipe it or disable to find my phone. And then even if they did, if that device ID tries to go back on the network, Right, it, it says, no, you can't register this device unless you have the, the previous Apple ID, which would be mine. So hopefully the other person doesn't know that. It's a good step in the right direction. Is it going to be enough? I mean, I think it's too early to tell how that's really going to work. Uh, but it is going to be something that, uh, you know, people are looking at. And I mean, it's all, that's all over the news as well that they have this new kill switch going in. But I think we're going to have to wait and see how effective it really is to cut down, hopefully, uh, the, the crimes targeting people with these iPhones because it's kind of getting out of hand in some of the different cities uh, where crime is increasing and it's all because of people targeting smartphones like this. Uh, so hopefully it'll work out. The downside, and this is, you know, again, still on iOS. I, I saw this out on Forbes where a bug in iOS 7 beta lets anyone bypass iPhone lock screen to access photos. Now, I know we've talked about this previously in other newscasts where we talk about iOS 7, and here we have uh, the lock screen bypass to get to this, or the lock screen bypass to get to that. 
Now, to Apple's credit, this is a beta release. Uh, this isn't out to everybody. You know, you have to have a developer account to get iOS 7 at this time. Uh, but, you know, we've already found another lock screen bypass. I don't even know why these are still getting put in there. But somebody found it. You know, two days after it was released out to the developer network, it was reported. There's a video about it showing how to do it. Um, so when we look at how well some of these things get implemented, it, it kind of makes me go back to that whole kill switch of, was this fully thrown through? I mean, it, how far is this really going to go? I want to see how it works. Uh, same thing with this lock screen bypass. Uh, you know, thoughts are that by the time the actual release candidate goes out, this will be resolved, which cross my fingers if it's already reported in beta, hopefully they fix it by the time it gets released. Uh, but it's just another tarnish there of why are we still seeing lock screen bypasses uh, it's kind of getting old you know we've seen it we've been there we've done that let's move on to something else uh, so again another one out there be cautious um, I, rumor has it that it's it's fairly buggy at this point I mean it is beta but I've heard a lot of complaints uh, from people saying that they're seeing a lot of bugs in the system that that's what beta is for working out bugs uh, but just be cautious if you've got somebody, you've got developers that are upgrading and their phones are connecting to the enterprise, be aware that there are some bypasses out there, some other issues that, uh, you know, may make it a little bit less desirable and something you might want to know about on your network. Uh, but at the same time, you can test out that activation kill switch and maybe that makes you feel a little bit better that that's available. Another thing that we saw out there. Two-year-old flash bug still allows webcam spying on Chrome users. I mean, this is this is off of Forbes as well. I remember it was a couple weeks ago. I had somebody telling me about how, oh man, if I go to a website, they can use my webcam to spy on me. And you're like, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of ways we could do that, uh, and there still are a bunch of ways to do that. But we've also talked about the idea of how do we still have stuff that's that's years old, that still isn't patched or still not fixed. We should be able to get around some of these problems. And that's exactly what this situation is. I'm in a two-year-old flash bug that's known to be out there and updated apparently in some places, but for Chrome users, not so much. Uh, so now we still have to be cautious. Uh, and there was actually a demonstration website that shows a proof of concept of how it works. And all you do is you, it shows a picture, a bait image, and then you click a button on it and it changes the picture and shows a picture of you because it switches to your webcam, takes a snapshot and uh, shows it to you. So again, uh, you know, I mean, we can't stress enough when you talk about social engineering issues. Uh, you know, we do phishing attacks all the time when we do testing and raising user awareness, I think, is the biggest key to this type of situation where users are trained and they understand how to spot what looks like a phishing email, what not to click on, what to do if you do click on something and you find out that it was malicious. I mean, this is all stuff that we really have to focus on to ensure that, you know, we're protecting the enterprise. So I think from this, that's really what we're getting. You know, I mean, it's using things, you know, like click jacking, uh, you know, redirecting users to click on, um, you know, hidden functions. So, you know, it really is that user awareness side. Um, so everybody really needs to take a look at, you know, hey, how are we doing user awareness training? Are we doing enough? Where do we need to make some modifications? Where are we weak? So that way we can start protecting against this because 
you know, we can't just assume that browsers or uh, some of the plugins that we use are going to do all our protection for us. Right? You know, we have to start taking a little bit of control back in our own hands. And then the final article that I wanted to talk about was, and this relates to the whole phishing idea, was um, out on CNN Money talking about cyber attacks hit Iran's Gmail users as elections began. And again, I mean, phishing attacks are uh, highly effective. It's amazing how easy it is to get somebody to click a link. Uh, we recently did multiple engagements where we were doing phishing attacks, and it's just amazing how easy it is uh, to trick somebody into clicking a link, whether they're curious about, oh, this does seem kind of interesting, or even if they think it's malicious, ah, you know, this doesn't seem right. Let me click on it and see. Uh, you know, there, there just needs to be more user awareness, especially when we see these events, right? I mean, Iran having a election, I mean, this is a great time for somebody to start trying to do phishing attacks. And the, Google's the one that actually detected this. I mean, they, they detected a significant jump in phishing activity in that region um, over the past three weeks, right? This is while they were doing their elections. And, you know, it doesn't appear that it places any malware on the victim systems. They say, um, or it doesn't employ any sophisticated tactics, right? I mean, it's, it's not really trying to disrupt anything, but it doesn't take a whole lot for attackers to do something with stuff. I don't have to have a site that's going to load completely malicious material onto your page so that we completely compromise your machine. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff I can do. There, there's all kinds of stuff that you could try to get out of a scam email. It doesn't have to be always doing a malicious download or trying to steal your credentials or anything like that. Uh, but definitely those are easy things to attempt when you start doing these type of targeted phishing attacks. So keep that in mind. Raise the user awareness. Not so doom and gloom this week, which is nice. I think we've kind of gone up a little bit. Uh, in the positive side of things. Hopefully we'll continue that trend. I think there's a lot of good stuff happening out there. Uh, so hopefully we'll keep seeing that as we go. So that pretty much wraps up episode 45 of the Down the Rabbit Hole newscast that we have this week. If you're looking for more information, you can go out to visit our website. Uh, the podcast is out at podcast.com. White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-Rabbit.net. Uh, for more information, you can also reach us on Twitter. Uh, Raf is at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-Rabbit. And I am at Jardine Software. Uh, feel free, reach out, hit us up with any questions that you have. If there's people you want us to interview uh, or news topics you want uh, us to discuss, you know, send us a message. We'd love to hear from everybody. And that's it for this week. Thank you. You've been listening to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. Give us feedback on our website at podcast.whiterabbit.net. That's W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Or on Twitter at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Until next time, on behalf of co-hosts James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los, thank you for listening.